you're traveling through another podcast. A podcast not only of reviewing and discussing, but of discovery. A journey into a wondrous show whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the RSS feed up ahead. Your next stop, Anthology. Hello and welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I share my first impressions, analysis, and overall thoughts on Rod Serling's iconic series, one episode at a time. I also cover modern anthology science fiction shows, such as Black Mirror and the Jordan Peele-produced CBS All Access Twilight Zone reboot in bonus episode review series. You can find more of Anthology, as well as a full episode episode archive at anthologypod.com. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, tweet me at ovanthologypod, or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. Today on the show, I'll be discussing Long Distance Call. It's the 22nd episode of The Twilight Zone's second season, and it originally aired on March 31st, 1961. And I'll be rounding out the episode with a brief, spoiler-free review of Science Fiction Theater Season 1, Episode 4, Out of Nowhere. Uh, that episode of Science Fiction Theater, by the way, is available in its entirety on YouTube. You can check that out. Uh, there's a link in the show notes to that YouTube link. Uh, but first, before I get into my actual episode, I do have a little bit of feedback from last episode. Uh, I reviewed the Prime Mover and I put forth this uh, um, hypothetical question to the listeners asking if they would be able to um, contain their greed if they were in Ace's um, situation in the Prime Mover. Um, only one to respond was Robert, a longtime, longtime fan of the show, longtime listener of the show. A uh, friend of the show and uh, Patreon supporter and everything, Robert, he said, I would like to think that I could stop myself if I was up that much money because I stop myself as soon as I'm 20 bucks down, <laughs> you and me both. And I, and uh, the other, the other uh, hypothetical question I had was if they, if, if the technology existed to where you could take a pill that would give you all the nutrition you needed and therefore never having to eat a single piece of food ever again, um, you would just get all of your, you know, nutrients from just a pill. Um, uh, but the downside of that is that you physically cannot eat any food ever again. Um, Robert said, I, and I love the taste of food too much for that pill. Um, but it was, uh, it would save a lot of time not eating. It's tempting. And, uh, I agree. And one thing that I didn't really consider when I was, when I was, uh, kind of talking about that in last episode is that, um, if you choose the pill and you cannot consume any food ever again and like ever eat any food or ever again, um, what kind of effect did that have on like your social life? Um, like I know it's like kind of corny, but like, okay, you go on dates. If, if you're dating, then, you know, going out to dinner is like the most social activity you can do in a dating scenario or just, you know, hanging out with friends. Like I have plans to go get lunch with, um, some friends from out of town tomorrow. I'm recording this Sunday, uh, before Memorial day. And yeah, it's just, if I, if I could not physically eat any food, um, it would be kind of awkward. So anyway, um, interesting, uh, hypothetical, Feel free to let me know what you think. Uh, go ahead and send me a tweet at ovanthologypod, facebook.com slash anthologypod, or matt at obsessiveviewer.com. And so let's go into my review of Long Distance Call. So the plot summary according to uh, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic is... 
Grandma forms a strong bond with her grandson, Billy, who is celebrating his fifth birthday. After giving him a toy telephone as his gift, Grandma suffers a stroke and dies a few hours later. Before and after the funeral, young Billy pretends to talk to Grandma through the toy telephone. At first, Sylvia and Chris, Billy's parents, humor the child. But when the boy starts to show suicidal tendencies because Grandma asked him to come join her in the netherworld, the parents take serious note. After failing to die from a hit-and-run accident, Billy succeeds a second time by drowning in the backyard pool, and Sylvia verifies the old woman's bond by ever by overhearing Grandma on the other end of the toy phone. When the medics try their best to revive the child, Chris goes upstairs and pretends that his mother can hear him through the, te- through the toy phone, pleading for his son's return. As a lad, Billy never experienced love playing, basket- playing baseball or driving his first car. Please give him the chance, Chris pleads. Grandma agrees, and the medics are shocked when Billy pulls through. So, talent rundown for this episode. Uh, the episode is... Uh, stars um, Philip Abbott as Chris Bales. Uh, this is his first of two Twilight Zone appearances. The next we'll see from him is the episode Parallel uh, from season four. It's uh, season four, episode eleven. I actually wonder is it is it just called Parallel or is it the Parallel? Let me look that up real quick. Okay, it's called the Parallel. I'm not sure why I put just Parallel on my in my notes, but anyway, uh, we'll see him in season four in the uh, the Parallel. He was also in Rod Serling's, uh, his, Rod Serling had an episode of U.S. Steel Hour that he, um, wrote that, uh, Philip Abbott was in. It was called Noon on Doomsday alongside, uh, some Twilight Zone alums like Everett Sloan, Jack Warden, and I think a few others too. Uh, Philip Abbott also appeared in one episode of One Step Beyond, another science fiction anthology show of the time. That episode was called The Dead Part of the House, and it aired in 1959. He also appeared in two episodes of The Outer Limits. Uh, first one was The Borderland in 1963, which Victor Gamboa, friend of the show, recently covered over on his podcast, The Outer Limits Podcast. So go check that out. And The Outer Limits is available on Hulu and Amazon Prime. Um, and then also Philip Abbott also appeared in the 1964 episode of the outer limits called, and I don't know how to exactly pronounce this, but it's, uh, it's either Z or Z, 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 um, <laughs> co-starring in this episode as grandma is Lily Darvash. Uh, she was a Hungarian actress, I believe. And this was her only episode of the twilight zone. She didn't have any other sci-fi anthology credits to her name. And she was, uh, she didn't work with Serling outside of the twilight zone either. Uh, she was, I believe a, uh, notable stage actress though. Uh, Patricia, uh, Patricia Smith plays Sylvia Bales. Uh, this is her only episode of The Twilight Zone, but she did appear in one episode of Tales of the Unexpected in 1977. That episode was titled You're Not Alone. And it's an interesting side note because I, I hear Tales of the Unexpected and I think, oh, the Roald Dahl, uh, British sci-fi anthology series that is also in its entirety on, um, Amazon Prime right now. But this wasn't that. Um, uh, this episode that she was in of a show called Tales of the Unexpected was a completely different Tales of the Unexpected. Um, Roald Dahl's show uh, ran from 1979 to 1988, and this show uh, was a kind of a one-season wonder in 1977. It only ran for eight episodes, and it was produced by Quinn Martin, who had a, was a notable producer of the time, TV producer of the time, that had no 
no connection to Robo Doll or uh, the other Tales of the Unexpected. So kind of an interesting, interesting piece of information, I guess, or history. And uh, rounding out the cast is Bill Mooney as Billy Bales. Uh, he is a big name in the Twilight Zone, um, from as far as I can tell. Uh, this is his first of three original series appearances. Uh, the next we'll see of him is, of course, Season 3, Episode 8, It's a Good Life, uh, which I'm very much looking forward to that. And he also went on to appear in uh, the Twilight Zone movie in the segment uh, adapting or, or reimagining it's a good life. Um, and then he also reprised his, it's a good life original series role in the 20 or 2002 twilight zone reboots sequel to that episode. It's still a good life, which, uh, that is the only episode of the original series to have an, a direct sequel made of it. Um, yet who knows they could, I, they could do that in the, in the new series. Now that I think about it, but that would be kind of interesting. um, if they if they took an episode of the original series and made a uh, sequel to it, that would be really interesting. Uh, that's something I'll have to think about. Um, so Bill Mooney also has a story by credit on the 2002 Twilight Zone series episode titled Found and Lost, which I found that interesting. Um, outside of the Twilight Zone, though, he was uh, or is noted to he. He uh, one of his more notable roles outside of the Twilight Zone. There we go. Is uh, that he played Will Robinson in the original Lost in Space series, and I believe he also had a cameo in the Netflix series that just came out this year. Um. So yeah. So that's interesting. We'll see more of him in the coming weeks. Uh, writers for this episode were Charles Beaumont and Bill Idelson. Uh, Beaumont, this was his eighth of 22 episodes. Previous we saw was last week's The Prime Mover, and next we'll see is Shadow Play, which is an episode I'm looking forward to also. Um, obviously I'm looking forward to all of them, but, uh, Shadow Play is one of those episodes that has caught my eye because I know vaguely some bits and pieces about it, and also I know that it was remade in the 80s, uh, Twilight Zone, so I'm, uh, curious to check out, to, Check that out and compare the two. Uh, Bill Idelson. Uh, this was his first writing credit ever, according to IMDb. And this was his only Twilight Zone episode. He went on to write for The Flintstones, The Andy Griffith Show, uh, Gomer Pyle, USMC, The Odd Couple, uh, and The Bob Newhart Show, among other, other series. Um, and there's some interesting kind of tidbits about, about his role in this uh, episode. He basically pitched the story to the producers and kind of got the runaround um, about it. So Beaumont kind of, I don't think, I, I wouldn't say he adapted it, but he, he tweaked um, Bill Idelson's script. So um, kind of an interesting piece of trivia. Director for this episode is James Sheldon. This is his third of six total Twilight Zone episodes he will be helming. Uh, previous, uh, the previous episode we saw of his work was A Penny for Your Thoughts. And next we'll see is It's a Good Life, which has me very excited because uh, he got a really fantastic performance out of uh, Billy, uh, Billy Moomy in this episode. So I'm really excited to see what he does with it's a good life. So going into long distance call, um, what I knew about the episode beforehand was I, I kind of, I kind of had a pretty good grasp of what the general premise was. I knew that it was about a kid who either like my understanding was that he got a phone call from his dead grandmother. I didn't know that it was like a toy phone or anything. I just thought that he answered a phone, ringing phone and it was his dead grandmother. And I was curious what the moral of the episode would be. And I was wondering, is she going to try to warn him of something? Is it going to be that type of episode or is it just like, uh, 
the kid not being able to let go or, or move on or grasp the concept of death. And that's, what's kind of messing with him. Um, also, I just knew that this was the last videotaped episode, which I'll get to here in a second. So <laughs> that's what I knew beforehand. And let me go ahead and go into my review of Long Distance Call. So first up, uh, just immediately right off the bat, it is the last videotaped episode of the six, uh, the, the experiment to film six episodes on videotape. And my God, I'm so excited about this <laughs> because, um, like I said last time when I reviewed the Prime Mover, like that episode just looks gorgeous when you're kind of sandwiching it in between two videotaped episodes. Like just the picture quality does not look good on videotape and especially static static looked horrendous to be honest. And here, like here in long distance call, it's, it's aged better than static. Um, like it, it, the picture looks a little bit better, but there's still that weird frame rate kind of thing where, uh, it's just, it's, it's, it moves a little smoother than, than what I'm used to on film. And it's just jarring and it gives, it gives the whole picture too much of a fake reality feel to it and not in a good way, just more in like a soap opera way. So I'm really excited that this is the last we'll see of videotaped episodes in the Twilight Zone. Um, also, I'm really thankful that this whole experiment lasted only six episodes and that it happened early in the series run. So I'm excited that I have a little, a little less than a hundred episodes that are going to be shot on film <laughs> to go through. Um, yeah, because the, these episodes, I, it didn't bother me that much at first, but like, what, and granted that like the, um, the airing, the order in which they aired, um, had like that it wasn't like six episodes back to back to back to back to back to back but it was a uh kind of a chore when i would get to one because it just doesn't look good and i i've come to appreciate the twilight zone as a kind of upper echelon type of show and it's just that picture quality that kind of grainy videotaped aesthetic just did not did not match the appreciation that i have for the show so i'm glad that we can put that behind us now so the episode opens with Chris leading his mother down the stairs and he's leading her into um, Billy's, I almost said bachelor party, Billy's birthday party. <laughs> um, uh, and they have kind of a back and forth. Like he tells her that the rules of the house today is that the moment that this birthday party is over, you have to go back upstairs. And uh, Lily Darvash has this very just uh, – um, charming line where she's she's like i always follow the rules of the house except when i don't agree with them and i just i just thought like right off the bat she's very charming in what is admittedly a very limited role in this episode um so she's she's at the birthday party and one thing that and it's not even a nitpick it's not it's not like a criticism or anything but i was just like it's the kid's five years old and he has no other, like there are no other kids at this birthday party it's just a family birthday party but and then i can make excuses for that and think like well maybe they're they're doing this strictly for the grandmother because they don't want the stress of having a bunch of like school kids around and everything so billy makes a wish and he whispers what the wish was to his grandmother and i was a little surprised that that didn't have any payoff like we didn't find out what the birthday wish was but ultimately it doesn't matter um just because that that moment where he whispers the birthday wish to his grandmother it just that really helps solidify the bond between billy and the grandmother and it's just it's it's a really good way to showcase how close they are and how there's kind of a just uh a distance between 
Billy and his parents because his grandmother has, has kind of, uh, you know, uh, taken not control of him, but taken over as kind of just someone who just has so much adoration toward him. And there's a look between Chris and Sylvia when the grandmother says, uh, the wish is a secret. And I found that really interesting because Billy's really close to his grandmother and his parents know that her time is limited. So I think when they share that look of kind of that, it's, it's an, it's a very subtle, like kind of, kind of foreboding kind of look like, Oh, oh here we go. Um, I think it's just that they're fearful of how Billy is going to take his grandmother's impending death. And I'll get to more on that here in a second, but I do want to highlight that the actress playing the grandmother, her accent is so distinct and it's just, it's very, um, in the moment when I was first watching this episode, I really assumed that that was like a calculated casting choice because I knew that the premise was that the kid was going to have a phone call from his grand, from his dead grandmother. And I really thought that we were going to, we were going to, as the audience, hear the grandmother through the phone. And I felt like maybe they intentionally, um, chose an actress with a very distinct accent. So to kind of up the, up the, uh, distinction of the, of the phone call scenes, but that didn't work out because um, uh, cause we never hear the other side of the phone call. And honestly, like I'll get to that in a moment, but like having ha- like having the voice of the grandmother in the in the episode through the phone um, is not needed at all because the way that they handled it in this in this episode was so much better and uh, and much creepier. It had a much more creepy effect that we couldn't hear anything on the other end of the phone. So. The grandmother, she does, she doesn't really have a name in the episode, so I'm just going to refer to her as grandma or the grandmother. Uh, she kind of takes a moment and like in the midst of the birthday party and everything, and she just says that she says that she's so happy and her heart is full, and she says that Billy gave her life again, and that was so sweet and endearing, and it was just like the episode is really ramping up to her death, <laughs> um. And it's just like the episode does such a good job of making us care for the family dynamic and care for the bond between Billy and his grandmother while also establishing this kind of under underlying uh, feel of feel fear of death by the parents like like this fear that the grandmother's death is going to shake Billy in a way that like throughout the episode, the parents have are kind of shielding Billy from death. And there's this kind of power struggle uh, present in this scene of the episode where, uh, grandma says, I won't be here. I won't be with you for very long. And then Chris, um, is like, like he just kind of nips that in the bud and he reassures Billy like, Oh no, no, no. She'll be here next year and the year after she'll be here forever. And then, uh, the grandmother just looks at him and she's like, don't lie to him. And it's just like, so kind of cold. Like she's like, she does not appreciate that. And I just, I just love that power struggle um between the parents and the grandparent in it and i'll get to more to onto that here in a second but uh the grandmother presents the present um to billy and it is a toy phone it's a very small little toy uh rotary style phone and she tells him that he's that she that she'll be able to hear him uh when he like they'll be able to talk on the phone from now on and at this moment like they're kind of playing with it like billy is billy is um talking into the phone and the grandmother is in the background with her with her hand up to her up to her ear like pretending to talk on the phone and uh just <laughs> bill Moomy as as a kid in this episode is just freaking adorable um and i was really eager to see and i am really eager to see 
his other episodes and the rest of his appearances throughout the entire Twilight Zone franchise because of this um, performance. Because he he gives such a great performance here. So after they play with the phone, Grandma stands up and you can tell that she's you know nearing the end. Like she has like she she knows that oh something is something is wrong, and the music kind of. Um, builds up a little bit the tension and then uh it the scene ends with billy saying i think into the phone he says like don't be sick grandma don't be sick this is billy don't be sick um that's when we get um serling's opening narration i'm gonna go ahead and play a clip of the opening narration here as must be obvious this is a house hovered over by mr death that i'm the present player to the third and final act of every life and it's been said and probably rightfully so that what follows this life is one of the unfathomable mysteries. An area of darkness which we the living reserve for the dead. Or so it is said. For in a moment a child will try to cross that bridge which separates light and shadow. And of course he must take the only known route. That indistinct highway through the region we call the Twilight Zone. So in Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic, uh, Martin Grimes Jr. mentions that there are a couple other drafts of the opening narration um, that Serling rejected, which kind of answers my question that I posed a little bit ago or a couple episodes ago, I think. It may have been in one of the bonus episodes. Um, but I kind of wondered if you know, Serling wrote the actual narrations, like regardless of who wrote the, wrote the scripts, did he like sit down and write the opening closing narrations? But, uh, judging from that, uh, no, he didn't. So that makes sense. Uh, and that in retrospect, that also makes a lot of sense too, because he would be, he would have some kind of writing credit on each episode if he were to write the opening closing narration. So just some clarification on that. He did not write, uh, the narrations on the episodes he didn't write. Um, but, uh, yeah, I read the, the other drafts of the opening narration, it's, it's really not good. It's just, it lacks just, it it feels just very, just lifeless and it just lacks something there. So, um, with the narration that we did get, I did appreciate it. I, I thought it was pretty good. So after the narration, I just, I want to reiterate, like the kids acting, Bill Mumia as a child actor is so surprisingly good. And at that moment in the, in the episode, I kind of looked him up uh, on my first viewing and I was like, oh, it's the, it's the kid from a, from it's a good life. Cool. Um, and so once again, just knowing that James Sheldon, um, is going to be directing it's a good life. It makes me even more excited for that episode in particular, because like I said, he got a spectacular performance out of Bill Mooney in this episode. And so there's a scene where Billy is at his grandmother's deathbed and it's, it's very sad. It's very uh, somber and um, it's, it's another indication of the kind of power struggle between Chris and Sylvia and the grandmother. Um, in regards to death, like Chris and Sylvia are trying to take Billy away from the bed and, and, you know, put him to bed and everything, but he wants to see, no, 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 I'm sorry. Uh, Chris and Sylvia try to put him to bed, but he, he almost demands to see his grandmother while she's laying on her deathbed. And again, I just like that there's this underlying rift between Chris and Sylvia and the grandmother, but it's not like a malicious thing. It's like the grandmother just wants what's best for Billy and Chris and Sylvia in their own way are shielding him from, uh, from the notion of death because he's five years old and they, um, just want to protect him. So I could see how each side is right, but also I feel like it's maybe even more of a struggle or rift, not necessarily between Chris and Sylvia and the grandmother, but Chris and Sylvia versus death. 
and death is kind of personified in the ailing grandmother. And I kind of like that idea of it. Like, I feel like there's an alternate version of this episode that could go more in depth with that. But I like kind of the subtlety of that. And I, I think that it is open to that type of interpretation. So Billy is at his grandmother's bedside, um, on her deathbed. And this exchange happens between, uh, amongst the room. So I'm going to play a clip from this episode here. Who are you? I'm your son, Chris. Your son. No. No. My son was taken away from me by a woman. This is my son now. Billy. My son. So when she says that her son was taken away from her by a woman, um... I found that really interesting because that like I just like I just talked about kind of the rift between the parents and the grandmother um, being about the parents versus death here. It seems more direct like it feels like my read of it is that is that she's referring to Sylvia um, taking away Billy or uh, not taking away Billy, but taking away uh, Chris from her because right after she says that line where she says, uh, my son was taken away from me by a woman. Um, the camera cuts to Sylvia just looking like staring daggers at Chris while Chris is just not breaking eye contact from his, from his mother. Um, and I thought that was really interesting and really worth exploring And it. And it is explored in its own, um, kind of subtle way. And I just really appreciated the episode for that. So everyone leaves the room, uh, and takes Billy out of the room when uh, the grandmother passes away, and that leaves Chris alone with his mother. And she's 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 died. He's he's kind of mourning in that moment. And uh, I just like that quiet moment with Chris and his mother after she dies. Um, I just I I really like. There's a moment. There's a beat where the the episode takes it to where it's like, okay, this man just lost his mother, and I feel like. Maybe this is, I don't know, maybe this is just 2019, a 30-year-old guy in 2019 talking about this and having no context for the um, the culture and, and the way that things are depicted, were depicted in the 1961. But I feel like, I feel like maybe it's, it's possible that back then it wasn't really um, beneficial to television shows to show men in emotionally um distraught emotional moments like that like i mean you you can have like big emotional beats like i'm right off the top of my head uh the last flight where um uh oh the lieutenant is trying to get back in time to save uh old lead bottom and everything like you can have those emotional kind of things but i feel like maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm just speaking entirely off base, but I feel like there may have been like a little, my, my understand, not even understanding because it's just complete conjecture. But I think that maybe back then it may have been harder to get on screen depictions of like men, like heads of households, you know, mourning in, in deep sadness. Um, and I appreciate what the episode did with Chris in this moment with his mother. Um, 
so at this point in my first viewing, I was thinking that this could take a disturbing turn. And I was one like, this is where I was kind of signaled that I was like, is the grandmother going to lure Billy to death so that she can have him forever? And at that moment, when I kind of thought of that, um, like I put in my notes, I don't know if that is befitting the twilight zone. Um, and as the episode progressed, uh, obviously that's what happens. It's, he's being lured to his death by his grandmother so that she can keep him forever. And I kind of, uh, think that it was handled really well in the episode. It's a very, very dark premise for the show. Um, but kudos to Beaumont and, uh, Idelson uh, for his input on it, but um, Beaumont in particular for being able to have this dark, pessimistic kind of premise and have it still be kind of grounded in the, I guess the the tone of the Twilight Zone as a as a more um, broad kind of kind of idea of what the Twilight Zone is. So the first scene after the grandmother's death is Billy leaning over, looking into a pond. And I feel like that was really good foreshadowing for what's to come. I didn't actually catch it like my first couple of viewings of the episode. Um, and I, I kind of appreciate the way it's shot because you can't see the pond. Like there's no pond like you, like the camera angle completely negates the fact that there is a pond there. It's just showing, from like, it looks kind of like a balcony, but it's, it's just like a little, um, uh, kind of back porch kind of thing. Um, so you can't see the pond, but you can hear the sound of it and everything. And it kind of makes it a little bit more threatening in a way, because you don't have like a sense of the depth of the pond or, or what, like how big the pond is or anything. Um, so I kind of appreciated that. It was a little bit confusing on repeat viewings and everything until I figured out like, Oh, it's a pond. Um, because I kind of thought for, for some reason, the way that it was shot and I don't want to blame it on the videotape aspect of it, but just the way that that scene is shot, um, it kind of looks like there's a ledge that maybe he jumps down. Like I couldn't tell if like they were on like the second story of like a second story deck or something like that, but it wasn't the case. Um, so the twilight zone does creepy kids really well. <laughs> like I can't imagine being a parent and overhearing my kid talking to an imaginary dead relative. Like that is so disturbing to me. And so like, I would be so freaked out and I kind of was wondering, is this episode the height of twilight zones, creepy kids? Like I know we have, it's a good life coming. Um, and that'll be interesting to compare this, the two episodes in terms of the creepy kid factor. But I think that, and granted when I get to, it's a good life, I'll be kind of eating my words, I'm sure. But like my understanding of it's a good life is that it's a kid who is, who has this superpower that can control, uh, the actions of adults. Um, here it's so much more grounded, like long distance call is so grounded in reality that it's disturbing that like this kid is being, um, kind of sought after by death, but it's presented in such a grounded way that it's, it makes it even more disturbing in terms of creepy kids because like the way that the show is written, the way the episode is written and the premise is presented, it's like Billy doesn't have that understanding of what death really is and what it really means. He's just wanting to go back to his grandmother. And that is so just chilling to me, to be honest, like it's completely chilling. So, um, 
so yeah, it's just so steeped in reality this episode is and bill mooney plays billy so naturally without any hint of disturbance that it like the way that he's just so naturalistic in his in his uh in his performance like he when he when you when they show him on the phone and everything it's just it's a kid playing with a toy phone (laughs) but the dialogue is so disturbing and so entrenched in this darkness of this episode that it's just it counterbalances the kind of cheerful performance of Bill Mooney and just makes it in a weird way, just really exacerbate the creepiness of the plot. And I just really love that for on a writing level and a performance level from Bill Mooney. I just think that it's just a really strong, um, uh, sequence or a real strong aspect of this episode. So after the funeral, um, Chris and Sylvia come home and, uh, learn that Billy ran out in front of a man's car. And I have, a, I have in my notes, Jesus, this episode is creepy and unsettling. Uh, so Mr. Peterson is the guy who is driving the car and he's obviously shaken up. He talks about how he's been shaking, shaking ever since, you know, he almost killed this kid. And, uh, Peterson tells Chris that Billy said that someone told him to run out into the street and that's when the babysitter says that Billy was just playing with a toy telephone all day. And that's when they kind of get it, uh, kind of piece it together. Sylvia runs up to the stair, runs up the stairs to, to talk to Billy about it. And at this moment, I kind of noticed like this is, I said this earlier a little bit, but, um, for some reason, the videotape just looks better than static was like, I can barely, well, I could, I could kind of barely tell that it was a, that it was shot on videotape this episode. Um, aside from the frame rate, uh, thing that I mentioned before, but it kind of made me wonder if like maybe static is like an outlier in the videotaped episodes. Like I kind of wonder like my kind of theory, I have no way to corroborate this, but I kind of wonder if static just had more damaged negatives when the picture was like upgraded for DVD and Blu-ray because I mean, going back, go back and watch static. It's, it doesn't, it looks so, it just looks bad. It looks really bad. Um, and I kind of wonder if that led to me not really appreciating the episode as much as I would have if it was shot on film. Um, but anyway, check out my review of Static from a couple weeks ago. So Chris and Sylvia talk to Billy about the phone. And Sylvia is almost in hysterics. And she runs out of the room and she's she's crying. She's, she's you know, trying to, like, she was she's so distraught over the fact that her son almost died. And he is getting this uh, impulse to to try to kill himself from a toy phone. So that leaves Chris uh, alone with Billy and he is talking to him about death. He's saying like, you're, you know, your grandmother's not coming back. She's actually, she, she died. She, it's, she's not coming back. And in that moment, Billy responds and says, mom doesn't like me anymore. Does she? And I like, I love like just that line alone is so, is so, um, I guess powerful, I guess it it carries so much weight to it because that's such a natural kind of response from a kid. Like it's this kid that's five years old and he just saw his mom just berate him over, um, just the fact that from his perspective, he just wants to see his grandmother again. And so like his response is just mom doesn't want, doesn't like me anymore. Does she? It's just so like, it's the way that kids can be like, um, cut to the point. Um, of everything. And it's just, I, I thought it was a really good line. And I kind of had a, a little bit of a, I guess, theory or, um, thought when he says mom doesn't like me anymore, does she? 
Because I kind of wondered if we can take that to mean that the grandmother is continuing to kind of try to drive a wedge between uh, Sylvia and uh, Billy. Um, I don't know, just because like after that scene, Billy, we hear Billy whisper um, through the closed door. I could barely detect what exactly he said, but I put on the closed captions and it says um, to me about mommy. Ha ha ha. Um, super creepy. I'll put a clip here. <laughs> and I kind of wonder if he's saying like, um, like you were right about mommy or, or that's what you said to me about mommy. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm stretching, but I don't know. But anyway, uh, before that, when Chris asks Billy, um, not to use the phone around Sylvia, I thought that was a really sweet moment, like a kind of a tender moment where, where Chris is trying to protect his wife who is so distraught and disturbed by their kids actions. And he's trying to keep the peace. I thought that was a really cool, uh, really good moment, kind of a tender moment. So then we get a scene with Chris and Sylvia talking about the grandmother. And I'm going to go ahead and just play this clip here. Cause I think that it's really important as far as exposition and, and leading to more information about, about the point of the episode. So here's a clip of Chris and Sylvia talking, uh, following the funeral. Chris, don't check me out. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just, I know. My funeral stink. I wanted to remember her the way she was, and I'll always think of her that way. I know how hard everything's been on you, Syl, everything you've had to go through. But Mother never meant any harm. I suppose not. No, it's true. She had two children before me. She lost them both. She just couldn't let go. That was all she had. Except for Billy. But Billy was me again. Chance to go back, to pretend out all those other years never happened. I know it wasn't right or fair to you, Syl, but believe me, no matter what she did, she did it out of love. Love for whom? So, Chris reveals that uh, his mother had two kids that she lost before him, and that um, that's what explained, that's his way of explaining why she's so possessive of Billy, because uh, he, he, Chris, was all that she had. Um and I just thought that that was really an interesting kind of hook. But before that, Sylvia tells Chris not to shut her out because Chris is obviously emotional and everything. So Chris just says a funeral stink and that he wanted to uh, remember her the way the way he knew her. But now he'll, he'll always remember her from the funeral. And again, I kind of feel like that's something that I don't really know that I see a lot in these older kind of television shows from, from about 60 years ago. Um, just kind of like this mourning aspect of, of like a, a patriarch of a family feeling emotionally vulnerable. Um, I just think that that's, that's a really interesting way that it's handled in this episode of the twilight zone. So, um, he goes on to say that Sylvia, uh, to tell Sylvia that his mother never meant any harm. And God, I love that line where, uh, he's like, she had two children before me lost both. She couldn't let it go. Let go. I was all that she had. Uh, Billy was me again, her chance to go back, pretend all those other years never happened. And I love Sylvia's response where she says, um, or, or I'm sorry, when, when Chris says, I know it wasn't right or fair to you, Syl, but what she did, she did out of love. And I love Sylvia's response where she's like, love for whom? And I just, I, I thought that was really good, like a really good, like dramatic beat. That's kind of 
understated. Like a lot of the drama in this episode is very understated and, and kind of um, has this power below it, like running through it. And like the reason why I played this whole clip is because I just really love the writing here. And kind of to contrast that with like what people are saying, uh, saying about the new series on CBS all access. Like I know a lot of people have been complaining about the runtime of the new series um, for me, it hasn't bothered me that much really at all, but this exchange between Chris and Sylvia is a really good example of the, the original series utilizing its 25 minute runtime and really like really moving the plot along and, and moving it in such an effortless way. I just, I really appreciated that scene for those reasons. So again, I, uh, to kind of reiterate, I thought that we would hear the grandmother's voice, um, while Billy talked to her on the phone, but only hearing Billy's voice again is just so intensely creepy. And every time we hear Billy's laughing really freaked me out. Like even, okay, peek behind the curtain. I am recording this episode, uh, at about 11 o'clock at night. I'm in my, my bedroom and I have the lights off in my bedroom. Um, but I have the living room lights on. My cat is going crazy cause she's a cat and she's running back and forth and everything. And like every time, like I hear her pause, like kind of brush the carpet, like in the, like when she stops so that she doesn't run into the, to the couch or anything, I kind of jump a little bit. Cause like I'm, I'm a little bit on edge just talking about this episode because it is a very creepy episode. And, um, another, another peek behind the curtain last night, I sat down to watch the episode and take my notes and everything. Um, and my power went out. Um, so I ended up just like taking my laptop, um, putting the DVD in and watching the episode and doing that, like doing that in the dark. And like, I was suitably freaked out. Like I was, I was genuinely like freaked out by it. So I really love the tone that this episode is striking. Um, and I think a good a good reason for that is just the way that it's everything is based in reality. It's very, it's not as fantastical as other episodes have been while still retaining that kind of fantastical twilight zone element. It's just a really good, um, uh, kind of balance that's struck there. So then, so then Sylvia goes into the bedroom. Um, Oh, oh, that's right. Okay. So, so Billy wakes up, uh, his mother, uh, with his laughing and everything like, like Sylvia wakes up and she hears a laughter, uh, from the telephone. So she goes in and she's, again, she's in hysterics. She, um, is trying to understand what Billy's doing and trying to communicate that that's not healthy behavior for Billy to be doing that. And, uh, she grabs the phone and she puts it to her ear and it makes me wonder, like, did, like at that moment I was like, is she going to hear her? Like I was like kind of on the edge of my seat. Um, and she did. And for that reason, she dropped the telephone and, and broke it from Billy's perspective. And at that moment, I really wonder, wondered if Sylvia actually heard her or if the stress caused by everything that's gone on in this episode caused her to imagine the grandmother's breathing because she says, she says that she heard her breathing. She didn't hear her talking. And I mean, I can understand, like, Again, this episode does such a great job of depicting the Twilight Zone in this grounded reality because they could be read one of two ways. Like she either really heard the grandmother or she's delirious from, well, really from just being immediately woken up. Um, so she could be still like half asleep. Also, she's just delirious from the, from the, uh, shock of what all has happened so far. So, 
I just I I really like when this episode when when the show does that like has it open ended and kind of ambiguous and kind of leaves it leaves you leaves it open to your own particular um uh interpretation. So at this point Billy runs out of the room and like I like that's tension so well executed because you know that he is going to try to kill himself um presumably because the phone's broken also because he just wants to see his grandmother. So we uh, follow Chris and Sylvia as they run out of the room and through the house and the horror on Sylvia's face when she goes outside and sees uh, Billy in the pond is just so like um, just the performance uh, there for, by, uh, by Patricia Smith um, the way that like all of the horror is just painted on her face. Like she sells that moment so well. Um, and I just, I love that. And then we cut to, um, medics, uh, in like a, I think, I think in the credits, he's a firefighter, but like in, in medics, like trying to, um, revive Billy and we have the sound effect of, I don't know if it's technically like an iron lung or if it's just an oxygen machine or if they're one in the same, I don't, I don't know, but, uh, 60s breathing apparatus, um, and it's like just the sound effect of that is so intense because we're like it's it's the predominant sound on the soundtrack on the soundtrack in that moment. And I feel like that's totally intentional and to great effect because coupled with Sylvia just in complete distress, muttering to herself, like like trying to process like the impending trauma of her son dying, like she's she's sitting on the couch just staring into the other room where they're working on him and it's just like the trauma of like her impend like like she's uh, presumably about to watch her son die and she can't handle it. So her muttering and and trying to process that and trying to like not be hysterical coupled with the sound effect of the the breathing apparatus just overtaking everything else in the scene as far as sound is concerned just makes the tension so in, so intense and so well done so the medic tells chris i th- like i said i think he's credited as fireman uh, the fireman tells chris that his chances aren't very good and so that propels Chris uh, to go into the room and pick up the phone. And I was wondering, like, what, is he going to hear her, or, or is it going to be a moment where we find where we finally hear the grandmother's voice? But I found it really interesting that we don't we don't he- still don't hear the voice, and we don't really see any indication that Chris can hear her on the other end. Um, and maybe that's what Sir- Serling's narration at the end, uh, in the closing narration was referring to when he mentions faith, which we'll get to in a second. Um, but it was just really powerful. And I'm going to go ahead and play this clip, um, of Chris's phone call to his grandmother because of reasons. So here's the clip. Mother, if you can hear me, listen. You said you loved Billy. At his birthday, you, you picked him up and, and you hugged him. And you said he gave you life again. If you really love Billy, give him back. He's only five. He hasn't even started. He doesn't know anything about going to school. Our girlfriends wearing long pants even pitching a baseball he's hardly been out of this room 
out of this house. There's a whole world he hasn't even touched. You said Billy gave you life again. Now you can give him life. If you really love him, let him live. So he's trying to appeal to his mother to get her to give Billy back. And it's just really powerful. And I really, really appreciate the way that this show handles single performances. Like just just performers on screen acting to nothing like like reacting to nothing like there's no like it's not a two-hander it's just a single shot of an actor performing and i just really love when the show does that and it harkens back to like the first episode of the entire series where is everybody that whole episode is earl holloman running around (laughs) screaming um and it's it's so compelling because he's he's great and the show continues to give these performers that opening that they can really stretch their perform like performance wise they can stretch their acting legs and really give a compelling performance without having to i guess compete with other with other actors or creating an entire um like dictating what their what their um re, uh what how they handle the scene themselves um i just really appreciate that so i thought for a moment that the that the episode might actually end with a phone call with Chris. Um, and I think that would have been kind of interesting to leave the episode truly ambiguous. Like we, we don't get any resolution. Um, and like saying that out loud, it's ridiculous. Like that would be, that would be a horrible ending. Um, because we need that kind of, uh, resolution. Um, I don't like, I don't know how they could have done that, but anyway, so I'm glad that we, that we don't get that in retrospect. So, Grandma gave Billy back and it's uh it's a, it's a nice moment. Like the, the medics are, <laughs> I did like the fire, the fireman was like, was like, well, I don't know what we did, but we did it. <laughs> like, And it's funny cause it's, it's just, I it, like my head cannon for that is that he's like, uh, okay. I don't know what, I don't know what we did, but Hey, we're heroes. We saved this kid. <laughs> um, I just, I, I, I like that. But anyway, we get Serling's closing narration, which I will play right here. A toy telephone, an act of faith, a set of improbable circumstances all combined to probe a mystery, to fathom a depth, to send a facet of light into a dark after region, to be believed or disbelieved, depending on your frame of reference, a fact or a fantasy, a substance or a shadow, but all of it very much a part of the Twilight Zone. So, overall, really? Okay, so uh, the ending was satisfactory to me like this was overall an okay episode um or i would say even better than okay because i have been louding praise upon it so this episode was very good but the ending kind of lacked an impact for me for uh if i'm being if i'm being honest like i think that if chris's grief over his mother was a little bit more defined and developed even though we did have that really good scene with him and sylvia i just feel like there could have been more of a focal point to chris in his grief since he's the one that that is um appealing to his mother to to bring to get to give billy back um i think it could have made for a stronger ending when she when she does you know give the son back but what i really like about it was the about this episode as a whole is the ambitious or ambiguous nature of the twilight zone element of it all so there's more faith and fantasy than science fiction at play in this episode and i really appreciate the way that it handled that that aspect of it, the fantastical element, because 
Because in the grand scheme of things, who's to say that Billy wasn't making it up? Like Billy wasn't imagining uh, this conversation, these conversations with his grandmother. And maybe he is just kind of a disturbed kid. Like he's just learning what death is and doesn't understand like what ex- – like doesn't put together exactly what it means. So he just wants to be with his grandmother again. Um, who's to say that that's not what happened in that who's to say obviously that Sylvia just imagined the breathing on the other end of the phone because she is so distraught over what all is happening or that Chris was really just talking to no one. And it was just a coincidence that he, um, that, that Billy pulled through. So taking all that into consideration, this episode kind of becomes a somewhat powerful depiction of like family grief and, above all else, hope. Um, it's just, it's a really compelling episode and I, I really, really appreciate it for it, even though it didn't quite stick the landing for me. Like I didn't, when, when Billy pulls through and everyone, like everything works out okay, like I didn't feel like that impact. I didn't feel like, I didn't come away from the episode thinking like, oh, the grandmother decided to go ahead and let Billy live and everything. Um, I just felt like, okay, well that's the ending. That's the end of the episode. Like, good job. Like I didn't have like a big impact for me, but the everything preceding that moment, uh, really was compelling to me and really, uh, satisfactory to me. So yeah, so that's long distance call. I don't have much trivia for this episode. The only, um, <laughs> this isn't even necessarily trivia, but I kind of feel like maybe, uh, the movie last year, the movie hereditary, one of my favorite movies of last year. It's a, it's an incredible, like, piece of horror filmmaking and also just terrifying. And it's like, it is hereditary is a really interesting companion piece to this episode of the twilight zone because both have deceased grandparents who took special interest in their grandchild. Um, and hereditary is absolutely terrifying. Like, and it is so emotionally devastating. Like it's the depiction of grief in that movie is, is ridiculous and and crazy. So I kind of wonder if that movie, I, couldn't find anything to corroborate this, but I kind of wonder if Hereditary took a little bit of inspiration from this episode of The Twilight Zone in particular. So um, that's one little connection I made. Um, this episode was also referenced in a couple of things. Um, Poltergeist 2, The Other Side from 1986 um, shares some similarities with this uh, episode as Carol Ann's late grandmother contacts her through her toy telephone. And then also there was an episode in 2008 of the show Supernatural uh, that also was titled Long Distance Call. And uh, that episode was about like a demon who calls who calls people under the pretense of being a loved one who's passed away and leads them to suicide. So, um, so yeah, so there's a couple of pieces of trivia that, like I said, there wasn't much else that I could find um, about this episode. So, so yeah, let me know what you thought of Long Distance Call. Um, I feel like this is an episode that will grow on me as I, cause obviously, um, I'm like, like going through the twilight zone for the first time. Like, it's not like I'm going, it's not like I'm reviewing the episodes and then never going to watch them again. Cause I've watched them numerous times. The episodes that I've watched, because I I'm falling so head over, over heels in love with this freaking show. Um, but I feel like long distance call is going to be one of those episodes that, um, in the moment in the review, I was, um, taken with, but not uh, like feel, didn't feel like it stuck the landing for me, but I feel like that will change as I, as I, uh, revisit this episode over the next several years of my life. 
um, just for recreational purposes. So, uh, like I said, that's my review of Long Distance Call. I'm going to round out this episode with a brief, spoiler-free review of the fourth episode of Science Fiction Theater's first season, titled Out of Nowhere. Um, like I said, this episode uh, of Science Fiction Theater is available in its entirety on YouTube. Link in the show notes, and you should be hearing the... Uh, theme music to it now so i will go into my review um this episode uh out of nowhere originally aired on april 30th 1955 and as is customary with uh science fiction theater each episode starts with this pre-show introduction from host truman bradley where he talks about some of the scientific um properties and and ideas that are going to be um uh in the uh the episode to come so in this pre-show intro truman bradley talks about echoes echo chambers and radar and he uses the principle of echoes to demonstrate how radar technology works and uh an interesting kind of thing that i noticed um i think this was the case the radar machine that he uses to demonstrate radar technology um is what shows up at the beginning of every episode in the opening, like kind of like theme music. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool. And then he goes on to demonstrate that like the, like he goes on to use part of the radar machine to light a light bulb across the room and light it to the extent where it pops. Um, so yeah, uh, that was an interesting pre-show bit, but then we get into the episode. So the synopsis, the brief synopsis for out of nowhere is a strange signal is disrupting the sonar used by bats, causing them to slam into a skyscraper. Fearing a foreign country is trying to disrupt our radar systems. The government investigates. Uh, this episode was directed by Herbert L. Strock and written by Don Mullally and stars Richard Arlen as Dr. Osborne. So we start with this woman that's kind of a cleaning woman in a in a high rise uh, skyscraper, and she is cleaning a, cleaning um, an office where when birds fly into the window uh, and crash through the window and f- like fly and die around the room uh, where she is, and uh, it's revealed that four of the four of the birds that flew in were bats, and they that's when they call in Doctor Osborne and. He mentions that anything that will confuse a bat will certainly confuse the navigation of a plane um, because there's no reason for bats to crash through um, a window because they use sonar. So I feel like that's an interesting hook for the episode. And what I'm finding as I'm going through this show is that it seems to be really process driven. Like, I don't know, like the, the show ran for 78 episodes across two seasons. I don't know if it's going to continue this, uh, type of format, but the show seems, like I said, really process driven, showing scenes in labs, the using scientific method and using experiments and stuff, uh, to kind of figure out, like, uh, to kind of determine if, if their hypothesis is right. And it's just really interesting to think that it could, like, I, I wonder, okay, like back in 1955, like this show ran from 55 to 57, like how many kids watched this show and grew to, like have a love of science or anything. Um, like I know that George McFly watched it and became a science fiction author, but you know, that's fiction. But, um, I just, I just love the process of it. It kind of, in a sense, it kind of reminds me of, uh, to an extent, it kind of reminds me of seeing like, uh, those old video, like the videos that they would show us in school of Bill Nye, the science guy. Um, and it's just, it's, it's really interesting. So, 
to kind of further develop that, like the fiction aspect of these episodes is more about the question rather than the premise of the episode. Um, so like it's, it's basically the entire episode is built around a, a question or a, um, a, an occurrence. Um, and it poses this question each episode, like based on the premise, it's uh, the question it's, it's bringing up the mystery. And so the actual show seems to be about taking that fiction and creating scientific reasons for it. And I actually really like that as a concept. Like I'll be honest, these first three, first three episodes previous to this, I kind of was struggling a little bit because it's very dry and it's kind of just, I don't know, kind of, kind of just going off of like coming off of watching like an episode of the twilight zone and then going back to the show that predated it, uh, four or five years. And just, it's just kind of clunky and, and, and kind of a uh, dry, but I really like, I actually really like the kind of concept of each episode because it creates something of a self contained mystery for each episode. And, uh, I really appreciate it for that. And I hope that that's the kind of the format of the entire series. So to get back to the actual episode, um, they investigate the birds flying into the building and there's a wrinkle in that there was an employee in the, in the building who has fillings in his teeth that warmed up at the time that the birds hit. And they use that to deduce that the radio signal uh, could be coming from directly above the building. And the, like the first act break leaves us on the theory that there could be a space station overhead and that the show, uh, the show kind of breaks for commercial on the idea that if there is something overhead, it could easily destroy us judging from the power of the radio wave. And I won't give away how it ends up. Um, it does kind of tie into the Cold War, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. But again, it's just an interesting kind of premise for for a science fiction show that it uh, creates this story based on this phenomenon or this uh, question uh, like that could be solved by science. And then it goes into creating a fiction to solve that problem. And it's... it in its own unique way, it's pretty compelling. And I tweeted this last night, but I know that we've kind of been spoiled recently with sci-fi anthology shows as of late. Um, like we had, uh, like the shows that I have done bonus reviews for, um, Black Mirror, uh, Dimension 404, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. Those reviews are coming, I promise. Um, the new Twilight Zone. And I mean, I would be, I would be, absolutely shocked if we don't see a um a revival a new revival of the outer limits in the next like two or three years um so we have like it's we have a lot of sci-fi anthology shows but i would be really really interested to see someone revive science fiction theater um because like I, I would I would really be into a science fiction theater revival that presented a fictional slash fantastical premise and built a story around people investigating it with science. Um I think that, that would be a really interesting way to um differentiate the show from other science fiction anthology shows that are currently airing. Um I just I just th- I think that, that would be really compelling television um, and beneficial because again, kids could watch it and be like, Oh, I want to be a scientist now. I want to go into, uh, you know, science. Um, uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe we'll see. Maybe the, maybe, I don't know. Maybe some streaming service will, will hear this someone, maybe a producer for television will hear this episode and, and get the ball rolling on that. So if you do, I would like, 
Um, <laughs> all I ask is that they send uh, send me episodes um, before they air because so I can do bonus reviews. Anyway, um, so yeah, that that that'll do it. I, like I said, I won't spoil how it ends, but it is a it's a fun like mystery uh, out of nowhere. This episode of of science fiction theater, it's a kind of fun and interesting um, mystery at play. So. That'll do it for this episode of Anthology. Um, on the main feed coming up next time is going to be my review of 100 Yards Over the Rim, uh, which was the 22nd episode of the Twilight Zone's second season. Um, if you are dying to hear my thoughts on that episode and don't want to wait around for the new episode, go check out uh, Submitted for Your Approval um, about a year, year and a half ago, I think. Uh, Brandon Cruz, the host over there, invited me on the show to review 100 Yards Over the Rim. So... Um, if you're dying to know what I thought of it and want to hear me talk to someone else about it, uh, go check out that episode. I'll put a link in the show notes, of course. And yeah, and also just subscribe to Brandon's show. He's he's fantastic and he uh, does a really great job over there at uh, Submitted for Your Approval. So uh, for my bonus review for that, it will be Science Fiction Theater Episode 5, Season 1, uh, Y-O-R-D. So uh, check that out. Also, I'm still doing my bonus reviews of the new Twilight Zone on CBS All Access. My next one will hopefully come up, uh, hit the feed soon after I release this episode. Um, but that's going to be uh, about the episode Not All Men, which I'm very excited to kind of deconstruct and talk through and everything. And I like that's an episode that I would love to hear listener feedback on. So um, let me know what you thought of Not All Men and everything. So, yeah, um, you may notice, hopefully, I may be putting my foot in my mouth, but since we are coming up on the end of the new Twilight Zone and I am neurotic as hell, um, I want to release an episode of uh, like a main episode before I release the bonus episode. So I don't want to have like bonus, 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 and then main episode. Um, rather I'd like it to alternate because I'm, like I said, neurotic and kind of crazy. So you may be seeing an influx of anthology episodes hit your feed. Um, so that I can get caught up on the new Twilight Zone and uh, jump right into the new season of Black Mirror. So um, don't be alarmed if you see like two or three episodes hit the feed this week. Um, Like I said, uh, I'm going to try it, but who knows what's going to happen. So yeah. Uh, so thank you guys so much for listening. That'll do it for this episode of Anthology. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you um, want to, uh, please rate and review me on iTunes and on Pod catcher no uh podchaser.com uh that doesn't require any like it's free you can sign up sign up just leave a review rating it's uh it would be cool to see that on the internet and also um before i let you go i'm obviously going to play a clip from from one of my other podcasts but i just want to, wanted to make sure that if you this is your first time listening i do have other podcasts that i do um i've been a podcaster for like six years now so uh if you're want to hear more of my crazy voice um I don't know why it's said crazy voice. I don't know. It's like midnight at this point. So sorry, guys. Anyway, um, if you want to hear more of my podcasting, go check out Obsessive Viewer, uh, obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. That's where you'll find all of the podcasts I do. I have a movie and TV podcast called The Obsessive Viewer that I host with my friends. And finally, I also have a Tower Junkies, which is a podcast devoted to Stephen King and the Dark Tower series. So check that out at towerjunkiespod.com and yeah that'll do it thank you guys so much for listening and i'll see you next time and now here's a clip from a recent episode of the obsessive viewer a weekly movie and tv podcast from obsessiveviewer.com it was just so fast because 
before that we had this we had a pretty good dialogue scene that didn't feel rush where mm. he was talking to Tyrion. Yeah. And that was I felt like that was a step-by-step conversation. It was very logical and a, a little rushed, but in the context of this season, they took their time a little bit. Yeah. Um and, and it's I, not even like they had like a full house or anything. <laughs> um he said step-by-step. Oh my god. Full house. Uh, um we so can go they, back to being perfect strangers here. I'm sorry. God damn it. Go ahead. I hate you. Um <laughs> But Anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to anthologypod.com slash archive. You can also like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official Anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, can be found in the Obsessive Viewer's Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewer's annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! Don't eat that mommy. <laughs>